Hey everybody, this is Michael Gabriel and you're watching CMS TV. It is Chris Aiken Presents, and I, of course, am Chris Aiken, and I don't even need to introduce this guy, because if you own a, if you own any music, you probably have one or six of his. I mean, he's, he's, he's constantly recording. He's constantly putting out product. It's all great, and he's back with uh, something old, actually. We're, we're going to be talking something old. Uh, the band was, I guess was, we'll start there, was Slam. Uh, it's from the, the 90s. It should have been. I, I I'll even say it right here. It should have been a hit. I, I understand why it wasn't, but it should have been. And here to talk all about it is the great one himself, Mr. Jeff Scott Soto. Jeff, how are you, man? Man, I've been aching to talk to you, Chris. Uh, I bet you haven't heard that one, huh? <laughs> exactly. Good, well, dude, good? yeah, everything's good, man. Everything's good. I, I thought I would start by giving you the weirdest compliment you're ever going to get because it's a... Uh, it's it's not the t typical dude you're great man you know that you get every time uh oh here we go so today i was listening to the slam record getting ready for the interview and then after that i put on my favorite record you've done which is beautiful mess and i let that oh, play all the way through it's on youtube music i'll even identify who it was with and then i just let it go from there listening to your music creates the greatest algorithm flow of oh. music Wow. That that I I can remember in recent time. And it's all good stuff. It's all That's pretty cool, man. I never thought of that. You know, it awesome. it just I was like listening. A lot of it was stuff I didn't know, to be honest. Right. It was like the the last track on a Daughtry record and um you know, some of I know I'm a fan, but I don't know everything that you've done because there's <laughs> four thousand releases. You know, and I was listening to what is this song? Is it called Frozen or it was the Dallas version of uh, of the Madonna song, yeah. Yeah, I heard that and was like, "Hey, I didn't know Jeff did this." And I was listening wow. to some Eyes stuff came on. Some look at these bags under my eyes, and I'm no young pup. <laughs> you're younger. Well, we do, we established earlier you're not younger than me. <laughs> you just look the part. <laughs> I, I just color the part. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, dude, obviously, man, we are here today to talk about Slam. Um, killer record for people that are not familiar with it a go find it and listen to it or or buy it even right. better um but so you, you hear what's going yeah. on we'll, we'll talk about that just to get a a glimpse into it because i mean this, this kind of stuff is really exciting for me in terms of musicality uh genre wise um sure you know I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off but no go. Just, just to kind of preface it you know i i started my career with ingvays everybody knows who who knows my career and you know, it was pretty much metal, 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 hard rock, hard rock, all the way into the early 90s. And most people didn't know, especially back then, that I grew up with a full-on hardcore R&B funk groove bass. You know, I right. grew up listening to Motown, Earth, Wind & Fire, um, the Cool and the Gang. That, that was my world way before hard rock and metal. And so I guess naturally I just always kind of incorporated that, even though you, you don't hear any R&B stylings in Yngwie's music. Sure. But kind of the way I sing and the way I approach singing, it I, it had to come from somewhere. But that influence was so stifled for so many years that I knew, especially with bands like Extreme coming out, Dan Reed Network, Living Color, that style of music was something that was truly missing in my life. And I really wanted to tap into that. Hence, 
the Beautiful Mess album and, and other things I've done, like Love Parade. But um, Slam was the first that they came into order in terms of that groovy, funky thing. George Bernhard, the guitar player founder with me, um, called me one day. The band Bone Nasty broke up, and he told me he had a bunch of songs he, he loved to just, you know, with no pretense, no... We, we had no... Uh, we weren't starting a new band or project. Right. He just said, it would be great to just write with you and see what we can do with these songs. And, of course, I obliged, and that turned into... We absolutely have to turn this to a band. The beginning stages with George and I, he wrote and played everything musically. I, I was only there to write lyrics and melodies and sing the, the, the vocals. But he did all the instrumentation. He programmed the drums. But more importantly, when we decided this needed to be a band, even before we were a solid, complete lineup, we started shopping these demos as a band slam. Mm. And unfortunately, we couldn't get a bite from anybody except there was one label that gave us a production deal, which is a demo deal. You go in a studio, you cut two or three tracks. If we like it, we have the first right of refusal to sign you. Unfortunately, they didn't sign us, but we were smart enough to not take that money and waste it in a, in a recording studio. We took right. it and invested on home studio equipment. And all these songs are the, the result of that. They're, they're all the demos that we made on this old eight track task cam Porter studio where our master tape was a cassette tape, you know, nice. <laughs> but George was, he was ahead of the game on everything be between his guitar playing and tones and, and writing, but he was also an engineer. He was into mixing. He was into mastering. He was into all that stuff. And it was great to have that trade added to his songwriting skills because we made these quality demos that for the most part sounded like they could have been released. And at this yeah. point, we, you know, 20th Century Music came to me and, and asked if we would be interested in releasing this finally, because through the decades, so many people have cassette, you know, fourth, fifth generation mm -hmm. copies of these songs, and people would love to get their hands on the original versions without all the hiss and without all, all the noise. And at first it was like, why do it? Should we do it? And then we thought, you know what? If they're coming to us and asking us to do it, it's not like we were shopping. We were aching to get this thing out there. Right. Sorry for the name drop again. <laughs> and... uh and it just it just worked out. They really wanted to do it, and we got excited. We got behind it, and we all did it collectively together together to get this thing out. Right on. Now, again, the year we're talking about here that you were shopping was what about 92? 91. 91. 91. So really, this is outsider looking out, trying to remember when I was twenty years old. Yeah. The only thing that stopped you at this point right here was Seattle. the shift. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say because. If this would have come out even a year earlier and played next to, you know, um, the extreme three sides yeah, exactly. record, right. you know, I mean, this is a perfect accompaniment for a music fan like myself to listen to that right. and not even so much you, but, but the vocal harmonies, uh, you know, of the choruses sounds remarkably similar Thank to you. extreme and George's guitar yeah. is a dead knock for Nuno's guitar at that same time period. He's so underrated and unknown. I mean, if, when, and if, and when people hear his guitar playing, they're going to go, how did this guy slip under the radar? And he, he's, he did a lot of things and he's done a lot of things since, but he's not been recognized as the feature that he is and who he should be. Absolutely. So I'm glad, you know, Overall, I'm just glad that this thing will finally have its own legs. There were songs that we did that I, when the band split up or we decided we're not going to uh, pursue it anymore, there were too many songs on here that I just, I, I couldn't let go. I, I used some for my Love Parade album. I used some for Talisman. You know, they were, that I was basically picking and choosing these songs throughout the course of my career for, for things that it worked on. And I just didn't want these, these songs to go by the wayside. 
Right. And they didn't, you know, I'll tell you a story that you don't know. Um, I used, used, I nicked a couple of lyrics for one of my books. I wrote a book when I was going through my divorce and I started every chapter with whatever was in my head, okay. you know, whatever I was listening to at the time. And then I'd write just horrible stuff about my divorce or whatever, you know, the, the awful loneliness feelings. And yeah. I, st- and I took a chunk of lonely shade of blue for that reason. And I'll be honest, I did not know until literally last week that it was from Slam because I was yeah. not aware of that project. I think I got it off of what essential ballads or something. It was I, I think even Takara did a, co- a cover of it. I'm, I'm not sure if we did we did I, I mean again, there were other walks of life that said I love this song. Are you guys doing anything with that? And we we I sang on the further usages of the songs, but they were for other people and other other projects. So it's uh it was just one of those multifaceted projects in my life that actually found other legs in other in other formats and other ways. Sure. Now, Jeff, when you were going through this time and when you were going through, I mean, I know you were what, 20, whatever at the time. And, and you had just finished Ingve, right? Yeah, I was 26, I think. Yeah. Okay. And- oh, no, Ingve ended for me in, uh, in 80. My last show with Ingve was at the beginning of 87 when we, we did okay. two Iron Maiden. Yeah. Right. So you were known though for Ingve. Right. Did the labels at the time, did they hear you, but then try to say, you know, what would be good if you put on a flannel and you looked yeah. at your shoes and saying, did they try to say, well, we like this, but we'd like it better if you did this. You know what? By then, no, by then they, they didn't even, they, I wasn't even recognized as a, like I was even breathing or existing. Okay. It was by that point, because I wasn't, I didn't already have a, 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 a I guess a, growing career where everybody knew who mm-hmm. I was. I was plastered all over MTV. I didn't have that option where they said the tide's shifting. You might want to go this direction. I, I was basically just forgotten about even more so than I was in the eighties, you know, because again, I I've been always trying to reestablish and reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. Bay, leaving and exiting Ingbe, I was trying to be more of a, a product of who I was as opposed right. to product of what they wanted me to be. I was the guitar player singer. And so I was with Cooney and Axel Woody Pell and Alice Mossy. I was singing on all these guitar players records right. and I got labeled as the guitar player singer until I finally joined the band eyes. And that was a, that's kind of what took me away from the whole heavy metal world and put me more in a hard rock world. Sure. Would you have done that? If somebody would have said, you know what? Jeff Scott Soto would be a great grunge singer out on tour with Allison Chains. Would you, know you have done did? that? You know what I did instead? I actually bowed out of the music business and I joined the Boogie Nights for five years, made a shitload of money. Right. Even though I was wearing these these funny polyester wigs and clothes, I I just took a little sabbatical away from co- uh, my career music. And I waited for the tide to shift again. And in 2001 is when I re-entered the, the, the force field and uh, – and haven't stopped since. Well, you definitely haven't stopped since. When's the <laughs> last? Just a just a curious question. When's the last time you did not get in front of a microphone? Mm. <laughs> that it's the hardest question of the day. Yeah, it's going to be a long interview if you're going to make me wait that long to come up with an answer. <laughs> even during COVID, it was almost every day during the yeah. long. I was doing one of these videos. I was doing sessions. I was doing albums. It was nonstop. But thank God for that. And and yeah. For me, music served as more than just making a living. It served as a therapeutical uh, way of getting through life. I needed that therapy to, to 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 realize, oh my God, we're stuck at home for Lord knows how long, and I have to get that creative side out of me just to keep me ticking and going. Otherwise, I'll f- probably fall into depression. Right. 
how with COVID, and I don't want to turn this into a COVID thing at all, but with with COVID, so many artists that I know put out music that quite honestly wasn't that good because they were all pissed off and you know, obviously they're that's what it was. I mean, guys that write stuff that's normally not angry is very angry now. Yeah. You know, and you didn't necessarily do that, but what I'm curious about is did you did you use the time to adjust your career, Mina? Did you reach out and interact more with fans? Did you try yeah. to create things that you had not done, even if it was just for your own sanity, like really stretch yourself into different directions? Or Everything I did had a purpose. Uh, even when I was working with David Ellison, we were, it had a purpose in terms of I wanted to work with David and see what we could create together. We, this is before we made it and turned it into a band, turned it into something that we were going to release. We did it just for the sake of our mutual respect for one another that we wanted to work together and just to see what would come out of it. The same thing I did with George back in the day for Slam. Um, it seems like those are some of the greatest projects I'm involved with when I don't go in with a, an actual pretense, but I come out of it with a project or band or, or something to look forward to in the end. I did many a session. I, I, I pretty much didn't turn away anything. I did so many things, but I did so many more things I normally wouldn't have had time for. Right. And from that developed, and one of those things is coming later this year. I can't discuss it yet, and it's going to be huge. It's going to be badass. But from it, I was able to actually find another course on where I could or where I should go musically. So it w I found the positive and the negative. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I get it. And and that's great because so many, so many that I know are now stuck in that rut because they wrote something different. They adjusted themselves to the negative and now they don't remember how to get back. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a weird place. If anything, my, my only reflection of that time when it came to lyrics or, or using that towards the creative side of what I do, what I, it was more of a positive when mm -hmm. we get out of this, what it's going to be like, or going back to what we remember. It was, it was more of a, what to look forward to as opposed to what we're dealing with at the moment. Right on, man. Well, dude. Moving forward to today, you obviously you you remastered the work with George. You know, you guys you guys took the time and you 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 put it back together. Before we even get into that work, did you reach out to the other guys? What are the other guys doing that played on it? Do you even are you in contact or did you well, tell George, them what's up? Yeah, George and I wrote the entire thing except for this one song called Dance of Body Electric that that was written musically by the there were two guys in the band and the first phase of the band and then okay. they were uh craig polifka and chris mccarville from connecticut now chris, oh, no, chris went on to yeah house of lords docking yeah. he's done a lot of stuff 
but those guys were they were kids when uh, I found an ad that they put out. They were looking to to start a band or be part of a band, and it was perfect timing. They they came out to L.A. and they joined us, and they wrote that song. We we um, it just unfortunately didn't work out in terms of just everybody seeing eye to eye musically. We we George sure. and I had a really strong vision. They had a strong vision, which their their stuff is great in its own right as well. It just didn't really match with what we were heading towards into the future. And um, yeah, I reached out to them because, of course, I wanted to get their blessing in releasing their song on the record. That you know they were part of this; they deserve to be represented in this. Uh, I did reach out to Mark Bistany, even though he didn't play one drum on the album. It was all it was all done by George. He programmed everything because you know sure. our, our source of recording. We didn't have the luxury of real drums and and being able to um, to, to get things done the way we do normal procedure uh, albums. But reached out to Mark. He loved the idea. He was happy. And and I also reached out to Ricky Walking, who also didn't, I don't think he did any or much writing with George. He was basically there just to bring out all the best of the parts that George wrote out. But everybody was in the know. I wanted them to have the give the blessing that they were happy with us releasing this. And I made sure that their names were bold and proud where they uh sure. where they deserve to be on the record on the liner notes. Right on. With the, with the work that you and George did as far as, is it just a mastering or did you, did you tweak things a little bit? Is there anything, I guess, I guess my question is, is there anything different no. than the way it was in 91 or two? No, they're exactly the exact versions that we were sending out cassettes to labels back in the day. The only difference is George did master it. It was unmastered back then. We just, he would mix it and it would be done. But because they were recordings done through the course of two years, and different times, different guitars, different whatever, he wanted everything to match because you put an album out with unmastered and one's louder than the other. Or, you know, it just right. fades differently. He cleaned that part up, but that's it. Okay. And there was, for a microsecond, George to bring up, maybe we should just go in and redo all these songs and, and give them the, you know, we have the technology now to make them the way they were supposed to be made. And I mm -hmm. reminded him they were made the way they're supposed to be made. And yeah. my voice was like, it's a, a, a point in time. I could never sing like that again, ever in my life. I sound young. I sound, I'm a, the high notes come easy. Everything about what I did was a, a stamp in time. I want to, I want that to represent what we did in the work, not necessarily the songs we can redo, but you can't redo what we did there on those demos. On it, it, I guess you call it demo-itis. Sure. You can't reinvent that. It's like taking a classic album, that like when they tried to take the first two Ozzy albums, people's it was embedded in the brains. Those mm -hmm. parts, the sounds, the the, the mixes, everything is embedded in your brain. Yeah. And then somebody comes in and removes and replaces drums and parts. You're gonna go, I don't like that. That's mm -hmm. it, it might technically sound better, or and it might sonically sound better, but it's not better because you just removed my memory of what existed in yeah. those songs. Dude, and that's just... why I I convinced George, people who have these original demos in the crappiest formats. They're going to love now having the exact ones in a mm -hmm. nice clean. And you're so right, man. I, I, talk about our boy Ellison. You know, yeah. when I first heard Train of Consequences, the remaster where they turned his bass way up, I was like, what is this? What's wrong with my stereo? It just doesn't sound right. You know, it just, <laughs> it, it, you're, you're out, you're a hundred percent right though. What people remember is, is really the way it should be anyway, even if yeah. it's a bad recording, you know, it's, it's like, you know, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but like the, the Sepultura guys, the, the Cavaliers just re-released their early, early records, the Morbid Visions and the, right. the Bestial Devastation record. And they re-did re it now. 
And it sounds better because it did sound like it was on a boombox before. Right, right. But I know for me personally, I'm going to go back to the boombox record because that's what I grew up with. You know, it just, it just, you You can't fix perfect. Point in case, the first Motley Crue album, the uh, yeah, Too Fast for Love, I had the original, uh, Life to Leather or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the Leather Records release, and when they brought in Michael Wagner to remix and basically clean it up and remove some sections that they thought were silly. There were, there, you know, there, there were certain things that I was so, it was so embedded in me, so etched in my brain because I listened to that record to death. And mm-hmm. then the new one came. I'm like, oh, forget this. I'll never listen <laughs> to this ever again. No, that, And that's not a dig on Michael Wagner because he yeah. did a fantastic job in cleaning up something that wasn't done to the, the level of what he's used to doing. He just he made it sound more sonically how he would have done it if he had the chance to do it with them, but it just ruined it for me in, in terms of how I love listening to that record. Right. So it, it it goes the same way. I I have a really strong ethic on on redoing certain things and why would you re- now let's go back to the duets album I did recently. That's different. Mm-hmm. I can't get the original masters and then sing them as a duet with somebody else. So I had to redo right. everything there. But we also tried to stay on course with mm-hmm. how those songs were recorded, how they sounded, the parts, the hits, all those things were pretty much replicated because I didn't want people going, oh, you ruined the song by adding this, right. that, made a double tempo, whatever. I tried to just stay on course with how the song should sound, and I just added another voice with me on it. Right on. What, what if anything, and I'm going to assume there's something, but I'm not going to assume that you're going to tell me. What, if anything, was your cringe moment listening back to this where you listen back and you're like, ooh, I sure wouldn't do this this way now. The only thing I would say, I mean, I listen to it with absolutely fond memories and the same way a fan would listen to something that, they over, you know, that they've over they had for 20, 30 years and right. they revisit it and they're so used to it. I'm so used to even all the warts and, and pimples on the thing. But the only thing about it that there are certain parts I can hear a little pitchiness here and there that I it probably just slipped past me or I wasn't as nitpicky about it. Where I'm sure so, I'm much more now about those things because the more you do, the the more experience mm-hmm. you get. You you don't let certain things go anymore. Is it? And again, they were demos. I thought at some point we're going to redo all this stuff, so I'm not going to kill myself making it sound like a master album. But for for all intents and purposes, the amount of songs that we did on that record, I think the quality is there. I agree with you. It's great to listen to. And everybody, again, they should definitely buy it. And I, I, I say this in every interview, no matter who I'm talking to, don't just stream right. it, people, for God's sakes. E- even this, that is kind of a vanity project for Jeff. I'm right. I'm speaking, but it's a vanity-ish issue. There's still money that was put into it. And streaming it five times makes Jeff about one zillionth of a cent. So come on, buy one song. Buy, buy the album, <laughs> buy it, buy a t-shirt, buy another Jeff Scott Soto record. If that's your beef, but buy something, right? Oh man, I need to hire you as my PR person. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I, I, I say it to people all the time. Cause people, I, I get so many people that are, you know, especially on a classic metal show that when they do the call-ins and stuff, they'll be like, right. well, I'm supporting the guys. I listen to it on my phone. Like, no, you're not supporting anybody. You're supporting Spotify. Right. That's who yeah. you're supporting. You're not supporting the artists. Hey, Buy you know something. You know what the bottom line is? And, and I'm not deterring anybody from, of course, I'm always encouraging people sure. to buy product and especially physical product. I mean, we, we're from the age where physical product was important to us. Mm-hmm. We want to hold it, smell it, see it, read it, all of that, all of right. the above. 
the today's society only care about the songs. They don't, they don't really really care about the personnel. Back in the mm-hmm. day, we knew every name of every band member. We yeah. we we knew all the we knew the producer's name. We knew all that stuff because we cared. Now it's just about here today, gone today kind of stuff. And I'm not knocking it. It's just the way it is. It's uh, it, it we just got to roll with the punches. But the bottom line is, I don't care how you listen to it. Just give it a listen because if you listen to it free on YouTube or if you listen to it on Spotify, and I make that point one one a point zero 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 one percent of it doesn't matter. You're listening to something that you might enjoy later. And you might pass it on to somebody else. And eventually those little bits and bobs, they add up, you know, yeah. and not financially, but add up. And as far as the army of people that are listening to the things that I've done, it grows. Right on. Well, since we're talking about the army of things that you've done, which is literally like 900 things at this point, what what's going on with you outside of Slam? I mean, I, obviously this is a little a little thing in the, the long road that is the right. Jeff Scott Soto career. Where are you at now? What are you working on? That you can tell I'm, us. Anyway. I'm doing a lot of uh, a lot of appearance things, a lot of uh, one-offs, uh, flying dates, that kind of thing. I haven't really focused on any band stuff this year. It's I basically just uh, fulfilled a lot of cool offers to do certain things. I'm going out to Indonesia for the second time. I'm leaving Sunday night. I'm working with uh, there's a group out there called D119. They're they're basically the U2 of Indonesia. They're so mm-hmm. massive. They, they they sell out a stadium tour within 15 minutes, like Metallica. You, right. you put the tickets on sale 15 minutes later, they're all chewed up. Um, they reached out to Derek Sherinian uh, for a collaboration on a song that we I did with Billy Sheen and Dino Jalusic and right. Bumblefoot's on it and Simon Phillipson's on drums. And we did a collaboration thing that we did the video for it in January. And now they're expanding on it. Now they want us to come out and do some stadium shows with us. So I'm leaving on Sunday. We got a, a few stadium shows out in Indonesia. They're all wow. sold out. Great. And in between that, I got to head off to Austria. I'm going basically Indonesia, about 26-hour uh, flight there, and then straight to Austria, which is about 17 hours, to do two shows with the Rock Meets Classic. I'm singing with the uh, Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. When those two shows are done, I'm going back to Indonesia, and, <laughs> and I'm doing a TV show. It's, it's it's really great exposure stuff and I'm doing it not necessarily, it's not really a paycheck for me. I'm doing it just to expand on sure. territories. I'm doing it to expand on, on awareness. I want people around the world to know who I am and what I do because it's going to help me in the long run. So they're there. It's a big thank you to them because sure. they're giving me such a big push in, fr- in front of their audience. But on the other, other respect, I'm also giving them something that they don't normally have. And we're just expanding on what each other does. So, and then after that, as, as I vaguely mentioned, I got something coming out in September that I, I can't say a single word about. Okay. I shouldn't have said anything about, <laughs> but it's it's going to be worth the wait. And okay. and this is going to take a good chunk of 2024 for me in terms of, uh, in terms of touring and, and promoting. So, and Can it's you say if it's going to be something in this country or another country primarily worldwide. worldwide. Okay. And I, the only thing I can say, it is a stateside band. It's it's not okay. not a mixture of overseas and different. It's it's definitely a a U.S. thing starting here and and foundation is here, and we're just going to take it out there as soon as uh, as soon as the record comes out. We're 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 going to hit the ground running. Very good, man. Well, dude, give the quick plug so people know where to follow you so that we can get some of those sales we talked about. Facebook, Instagram. If it's a blue check, you know it's me. It's real. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for Twitter because I refuse to pay for a blue check for something I already had that I right. earned. Uh, I earned it the hard way, and they took it away because I don't have a million followers organically. Uh, but I am on Twitter as well, and uh, probably going to join that Threads thing too, just to 
just to keep other resources to get the word out of what I'm doing. But it's mainly Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and Instagram. You can find out what I'm doing. That's linked to jeffscottsoto.com. So anything I'm posting goes on jeffscottsoto.com. You can find it either way. Very good. Well, people should be looking right now for Slam. It's also the, the name of the album as well as the name of the band. It is out there on all the streaming sites right now. Let me put the picture up I so you know what to look yeah. for. Spotify, it's on everything. You, you can buy it on Amazon, physical copies. we got vinyl coming out uh, later part of the year. So it's it's definitely worth checking out. It, even if you don't want to buy it on a on a whim, check it out and, and say, I think I dig this. I want to have a copy of this. Yep. It's, wow. uh, it's laced with everything I loved growing up and everything I loved during that time. It's, you'll hear a lot of Prince, Dan Reed Network, Extreme Influence, Van Halen, uh, you'll have you'll even hear Talisman influence because there were a couple songs that we used for Talisman yeah. that sounded like they should have been Talisman songs and they became Talisman songs. Right on. Well, go check it out. It is Slam and it is Jeff Scott Soto and Jeff. Thanks as always for joining me here on Chris Aker Presents. Thank you, my brother. Always a pleasure. 